Hey, what's up, tribe? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. In this episode, I chat with Andy Bryant, who is a podiatrist and a TFC foot nerd based in Melbourne. Andy is also the leader of the Natural Podiatry Society, which we discussed throughout the episode, along with some important concepts around feet and footwear, load management, and the use of social media to facilitate connection and change. This week's episode is brought to you by TFC Balance Beams. They're our favorite simple tool for training balance in a fun and playful way. And each beam comes with our online beam training system to help you get started. We also wanted to say a huge thanks to everyone who's bought one so far. For every order from our store, we donate five bucks to Reforest Now to plant a tree to restore rainforests here in Australia. And we're pretty proud to say that your support so far has helped us plant more than 650 trees and counting. If you don't live in Oz but want one of our beams, we do ship internationally. Our 90 centimeter beams are an affordable option as shipping works out quite a bit cheaper. We also offer wholesale prices for any practitioners, instructors, or coaches who believe believe in the importance of balanced training and want to get their clients involved. Send us a message on Instagram at tfc.australia or via email at info at tfc-shopaus.com. All right, so Andy... Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, mate. Yeah. It's, thanks, uh, for, thanks for having me. Yeah, this conversation has been a long time coming and I'm excited to dig into just your story and, and some of the upcoming, exciting upcoming projects we've got in the works. Um, but you've been a TFC, TFC guy since day dot, pretty much, or at least in Australia. You were actually my first beam customer ever did you know that yeah i think yeah, i'd forgotten but i remember <laughs> you telling me that in the past yeah so yeah. when we a few years ago when we started putting the beams online i did the launch and then suddenly got this big 700 hundred dollar order of two beams and i was like oh that's cool some podiatrist in melbourne <laughs> yeah, from a podiatrist but, yeah, <laughs> i was like geez that's that's exhilarating <laughs> Um, Is that the only podiatrist sale so far? I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we've had a few others, yeah. but maybe maybe not quite so uh, so significant. But yeah. um, I really appreciate that. And I guess what's, what I appreciate even more is that it's led to quite a special friendship and to have someone down here like you who is so has such expertise around feet but also sees things a lot more holistically um and having a leader in our community to do with that i think is i'm really really grateful for so um thank you yeah well thank you i'm grateful for your leadership James. <laughs> <laughs> oh well well it's it's a uh, what i love is just the collective aspect of it now. we're yeah. all on the same we're all on the same page we're all on the same level and we all just work together yeah. and you know coming from different expertises and everything but all working towards that that main goal of just making health a bit more simple. Yeah. Starting at the feet. Um, so I thought we could just start this podcast by you just telling us a bit about yourself, um, you know, what you do, why you do it from a personal or professional or both point of view. Um, yeah. yeah, just launch in with that. So uh, I'm a father of two kids and a few animals as well. And I'm a podiatrist and I... Well, I think you called me a mover. Like, I think that's how I would label my um, exercise now. I just like to move mm -hmm. in, in any and varied ways without too much routine, just whatever takes my fancy. Um, you probably want to hear more about the podiatry side of things. Well, so, yeah, <laughs> might as well. Uh, I've been a podiatrist for 20 years, uh, just very traditional for the first 15 <laughs> before I started 
exploring stuff myself. And now I would call myself a natural podiatrist proudly. Yeah. 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 And I, we, we've, uh, we're definitely going to dig into the natural podiatry uh, side of things. But what got you into podiatry in the first place? Like, What was the, the interest? I was doing uh, work experience, I think, with a physio. There was a podiatrist there as well. And she was doing an ingrown toenail surgery. And I Ooh, quite nasty. liked the gore and the, <laughs> Did you? yeah i really enjoyed watching it yeah and um i actually got one of my first jobs with that podiatrist as well like a four or five years later whatever yeah, it was right. um yeah so it sort of went from there i thought i liked the sporting aspect of it as well but i never really got into the sports side of podiatry so much and i didn't actually enjoy studying it and i thought i might just like to educate or become a lecturer mm-hmm. so i did an extra year at uni sort of playing around with that but we were allowed to work at the time as well and you know money and a career beckoned so mm. I left um, that side of things but I feel like I've come full circle and feel far more of an educator now than I could have ever been yeah and I, that's where I want to move towards more education even whether it's one-on-one with my clients or to the broader spectrum of um, the public or podiatrists mm. well that's the real key isn't it education when it comes to health I mean Obviously, there has to be some level of action, but you need the right level of awareness and understanding about the body and what it needs on a, on a biological and physiological level in order to actually take the actions that need to be taken. Hey. Yeah, and I'd say it's my primary form of treatment now to educate people. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and how did you find the podiatry course like how did you find going through uni and then going out into the workforce and um you tell us a bit about that well i think it probably equipped me well to be a normal podiatrist um as with any health profession you probably learn a lot more in that first year out than you do while you're there but it in retrospect it didn't equip me for what i want to do now Mm. although i think i have a voice within podiatry within and even more so within other health professional realms and within the public because I'm a podiatrist. So if I'm saying something about feet, people are like, oh, he's a podiatrist. He must know what he's talking about, even though I'm saying something very different to most other podiatrists. So I, I am great, I'm grateful for the education because it gives me a voice. Because if a personal trainer or an exercise physiologist says what I'm saying, they're like, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's what expect to hear from them. But they don't expect it to hear from a podiatrist. And yeah. so... I definitely have a, a voice because of that background um, because people still see podiatrists as at the forefront of foot health. Yeah, which yeah. is which is really important and, and part of why I'm so grateful you're a part of our community and a leader in our community because, I mean, I think I've found the same thing with my physiotherapy degree. Like they taught us a whole heap about how to diagnose and manage certain conditions and a lot of it to do, with, a lot of it was manual therapy and you know they did obviously touch on education and load management and things like that but we only had one subject for well, one not even a semester I guess it was more of a term oh no it must have been a semester on exercise prescription but looking back at it it really wasn't a, a very movement focused uh, I guess curriculum yeah and I think what I most benefited from that in from that degree was a very, very deep understanding of the human body and appreciation for the human body and how it works. And, you know, knowing your anatomy and physiology really matters when it comes to working with people, uh, maybe not as much as, as is stressed. Um, because mm. like we said, a lot of it comes down to education, but you know, it is important to know about the body on a deep level. And then also having the physiotherapy degree, it does help when I'm running 
workshops or putting education out there that people go, okay, he's a physio, he has a physio degree, he knows what he's talking about to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though a lot of physios maybe don't know as much, you know, depending on wh- what other ongoing education they've done for themselves as well. You know, n- most physios or, a, you know, it's not a, a given that all physios are going to research all these different aspects of health as well. They might just sort of stick with the specific physio knowledge and delve a lot into the physio research and go down that you know more of that path but i think having had that experience at uni had opened me up to understanding all those other aspects of health um, from a physiological point of view and then being able to integrate that into my own life and then be able to talk about that with clients has been really powerful but it is good to to not just be some hippie who likes being barefoot (laughs) you know, when, when someone does give you a voice, like yeah. you said. Yeah. And, and I think we're cashing in on that to some extent because if, um, if we're trying to reach out to people that don't understand what we're on about in terms of natural movement and a natural way of living, um, because if someone already understands that, then they don't care whether they're a physio or a podiatrist. Yes. But, the, but the people that don't understand it, they're the people we're trying to reach to spread, a, you know, spread health in this um, realm in a... In, in, in a bigger space, um, they do really value whether you're a podiatrist or a physio. Mm. And so, um, it is important. So I, I, I think I easily forget that. And so I have to be grateful for that, for for that piece of paper. I still think that piece of paper is important for that because then I can reach people that aren't open to it in the first place. Exactly. And the second point that I thought of when you were speaking then is, that um, that background knowledge that we I think almost take for granted once you know it initially and you think you know it all sort of when you finish uni but then when you live it like I have worked for 20 years um, just speaking about how the foot functions watching people um, move for 20 years and uh, that gives you this um, library or this background knowledge of foot function that I take for granted I think at times and so I, I shouldn't and and I see it through a lens of having had that education. So um, I think when I first started down this realm of natural podiatry, I was probably like, uni taught me nothing. But now I can see that it was um, still a good grounding in having, you know, a different lens to, uh, a lens to look through at natural foot function. For sure. Yeah. And you do, you do need to lay down that foundation. And I think what you were touching on before is, you know, having having this voice as a health professional that people do trust because of the institutions, you know, the university institutions, then it's sort of, it is proof that you've studied basically and you've studied the human body. And, and at the same time, yeah, someone say, if I said to someone as a physio, I said to someone, Oh, you, you may not need your orthotics if you strengthen and mobilize your foot. So, you know, simple thing like that but they've heard something completely different from their podiatrist. Yes. They're like, well, my podiatrist is the foot guy. Yeah. And he says this, you're a physio, you know, it's, I'm not, physios aren't the foot people. Yeah. So I'm going to go with what my podiatrist says. But then if I can refer someone to you or another podiatrist in our community uh, for a second opinion, and then you can explain from a podiatry point of view, why that orthotic might not be needed or why it was prescribed in the first place. And, you know, really, use the language that a podiatrist uses then that that person goes oh okay now he's saying this so this podiatrist is saying this my my other podiatrist is saying that i can kind of see you know 
I can see the, the bridge here or the gap here and then it can start to make more sense. And yeah. so I think that's where the power of the Foot Collective really is, is because it is a collective of, it's not just podiatrists, it's not just physios, it's not just anything. anyone. Yeah. It's, um, and it's not even just health professionals. Uh, it's teachers and, and um, you know, even nurses and, you know, who are health professionals but don't necessarily work with rehab or, you know, musculoskeletal little things. And so we do have this really broad range of, people with different expertises that are starting to say more and more of the same thing. And, and obviously even, even not just the foot nerds, but then all of these people on, um, in our Instagram communities who are on the same wavelength, who maybe haven't done the foot nerd program, but then they're putting out or sharing information that is on the same wavelength and bit by bit, you know, if you're on Instagram and you see this podiatrist say, you know, feet can be strong and mobile. If you train them, you see the physio say that you see your coach say that you say, you know, then it starts to build this picture of the foot and the body as a, as a resilient, adaptable um, organism that, you know, that can be really strong and, and heal itself uh, when given the right inputs. So I think it's, it's a, a really powerful thing. I think what you just described is education being the key thing. Like if you just put that in a nutshell, it's about educating people that there is a different way and, if people are wanting to be educated, they want to hear it from someone that they value their opinion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And people being ready to be educated is another thing, you know, like th there is a, there's obviously a lot of, I guess there's a lot of work to do in terms of, um, getting the message out to the general public at large. Like <clears throat> we, especially I find, in Instagram or, or just in general, you start to hang out with people who are more on your wavelength and, and you start to, and even like you said, with um, your university degree and the, your years of experience, you start to think about things as common knowledge and you think about certain things like, oh, that, everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, or everyone knows that feet should be, you know, you should be barefoot as much as possible. You should be in barefoot shoes because you're surrounded by that. But yeah. then it's just not the case and and really i don't know the percentage obviously but a very large percentage of people that's not even on their radar in the slightest and i mean it's not not hard to get reminded of that because you go for a walk along the street or you go for a run and you just see 95 that's why i'm getting my percentages from like 95 percent of people are in your modern conventional shoe and and it's it's not even on their radar that feet matter or shoes matter or if it is then they've been educated that they need the most supportive the most cushioned um, the most arch controlled shoes that they can get because that's what is healthy for their feet and anything else is like well, it doesn't you know of course my feet need support it's like of course my feet need support yeah because that's just the narrative that has been it's an ingrained education it's an yeah. ingrained education from when kids are like three or four years of age that they need a support on the foot mm. and and support is good for the foot in any situation, that's just what people think. And I would say 95% is a generous, um, to think that 5% know, I don't think 5% yeah, know. Like yeah, nine, because nine. if you know, then you don't wear that shoe. Yeah. Because that, the message is so powerful, and that's what I try and portray, or try and put out there, that the message, like if you know this information, you would, you would change. Like it's that black, black and white, really, I mm, think. Mm, mm. That's when you live I'm, it. I'm trying yeah. to think of an analogy. It's like if you... Smoking is a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. Well, but smoking is addictive. It's addictive. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's a bit of a clouded I mean, it, situation. A, a crappy there. analogy 
<laughs> it's not a, it's not a good analogy, but I, I like to sometimes think about it. Like sometimes people are just hitting themselves on the thumb with a hammer and just over and over again. Why does my thumb hurt? Yeah. Or like, why does it, you know, why is, why does my hand hurt? And keep hitting themselves. And then you go, Oh, it's cause you're hitting yourself with that hammer. And it's like, Oh, and then once you see, it's like, yeah. once you understand, Oh, of course the hammer is yeah. hurting my hand. You just don't keep hitting yourself with the hammer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's very rudimentary. Yeah. <laughs> but, and sometimes I guess the problem is it's not as obvious uh, as, you know, hitting it. Like if you're wearing shoes, supportive cushioned shoes, you may not end up with foot pain or you may not end up with any pain for years and years and years. And it's not necessarily as easy to make the connection between the shoes and the foot pain. Yeah. But if you do teach someone the very basics of how the body works and how it adapts, then you can say, see how your foot is doing less in this shoe. That means it gets weaker and see how your foot is more restricted in this shoe. That means your foot is getting stiffer. And when then it, yeah. it just, it's very, you can't argue against that. It's and just when something goes wrong, therefore you need more support. Yeah. And so th- then that, and that's the model. Yeah. You know, oh, so from three or four years of age, you're in a healed supportive shoe and, and then when you're 22 and have an issue, we give you more support. And then when you're 40 and yeah. have another issue, you get more support. And so it goes. Yeah. And, and the th- yeah, that is, it's a cycle. It, and it kind of is like smoking in that sense. Like the more you have of it, the more you need it. Yeah. And so, and the deeper you go into that cycle, the harder it is to get out of yeah. that cycle. And, and the more your body, do- I guess your body does can, kind of get addicted yeah. <laughs> in a loose term, in a loose way to the shoes because then you get the people that go, I try going barefoot and it it hurts. And I ended up with, you know, X, Y, Z injury because I went barefoot. And, and so the body, you know, it's over time has just gotten its load tolerance has decreased and decreased and decreased until going barefoot is too much load and it doesn't like it. But the main thing is then trying to get that message across that it's about load management. It's not about barefoot being good or bad. Um, or shoes being good or bad. It's about what loads are you exposing your body to and how is that helping your body adapt or how is that causing, I guess, maladaptations in your body or adaptations that you don't want? Because I think everyone, as much as anyone might like shoes or even like their orthotics, I think most people would want to be able to go for a walk on the beach barefoot. You know, I mean, I do see a fair few people on the beach with shoes on, but... I feel like, you know, people kind of, most people intuitively understand that, oh, that feels good to have bare feet on grass or bare feet on sand. But for some reason, they don't extend that into their daily life or into other aspects of their life. So just to um, bring a point together, at uni we were taught, if someone comes in with heel pain, to ask, to make sure they, you know, there's usually a reason that their foot's been overloaded and got sore. Have they been walking barefoot on the beach? Have they been climbing ladders? Oh, really? Have they been climbing ladders? Like they're the red flags for someone with heel pain. To go back and think, why weren't we asking? Why wasn't I asking as a 19, 20-year-old student why our foot can't tolerate being barefoot on, a, on the beach and why our foot can't tolerate climbing? Yeah. You know, um, if they're the things that trigger pain and then totally natural things, why are we... Um, Podiatry students would still be being told this today. If someone comes in with heel pain, these are the questions to ask. This is what to look out for. Mm. Something that's stressed their foot out. The, and this is my uh, an argument um, about where research 
is in place. Our research should be that with the null, hypo- null hypothesis of a, a barefoot that has never been exposed to footwear that is, is supportive or healed. Because then we'd be able to compare what a natural functioning foot is. And, and we all have the opportunity to have, nearly all of us, have the opportunity to have natural functioning mm. feet. But um, our research is never about that. It's about always shod yeah. And yeah. So, anyway, when you're talking about the barefoot, that just made me on the beach. Yeah. It made me think, like, it's, it's so warped that as podiatrists, we don't ask the question. And I, I do now ask the question, why is your foot not strong enough to cope with being on the beach? Exactly. Being, being bare. Good. The conversation. So, it's interesting that the conversation is still about load management. They still yeah. have, people understand that, and especially, you know, podiatrists understand that we need to address or at least understand and address the loads that the foot have been exposed to. So, oh, have you been walking on the beach? Have you been climbing ladders or whatever? Yeah. And they're trying to find what's overloaded the foot. And instead of the conversation being about how do we make you more resilient to load, the conversation is about how do we take away those loads? Yeah. Or, you know, it's like, well, your foot can't handle being barefoot. Let's take away the load of being barefoot by putting an orthotic in. Yeah. Um, or take away the, you know, the neurological control required to be barefoot by putting support into the arch. And so you don't have to worry about your pronation anymore. Yeah. Um, which again then perpetuates the issue and makes you less likely to tolerate load and less likely to that's right um, to uh, be able to control you know the movements of your foot. Yeah. So we're adding something to the problem rather than taking something away. Yeah. And I guess that's what the Foot Collective's message is: let's take away stuff instead of add things to the problem. Like yeah. let's take away the shoes, let's take away the orthotics, um, take away even manual therapies, um, and go back to the basics of using your body as it's intended to use, and just let it innately heal. Mm. And um, still manage load, obviously, you're going to have to because we're increasing the load um, in some cases exponentially when you take shoes off and orthotics off. But um, also modern shoes with a heel exacerbate loads to, you know, they, mag- they magnify anything that's going on in a foot. So if I'm watching a foot and I'm seeing um, more likely, like someone staying in that pronatory moment for a bit longer than they should before they start supinating again, these are normal actions and normal movements of the foot. If, if I'm watching someone do that barefoot, when they put a heeled, a heeled shoe on, that's happening at a magnified level. Mm. There's your increased load. So let's take away the heeled shoe and straight away we've changed the load mm. um, in a way that's taking things away rather than putting an orthotic in place that's adding it to slow down that pronator, extra pronatory moment. For sure. And, and can I just say, yeah. um, podiatry, I think orthotics is a boom of the 60s and 70s when there's a big running boom mm. when a whole lot of sedentary people started running and instead of teaching them how to run properly we just put heels heels and cushions on shoes and that didn't stop them from running uh inefficiently they were still running inefficiently if anything it gave them opportunity to run inefficiently even more for for longer and then from there, we needed to start using anti-pronatory orthotics because of that extra pronatory moment that comes with wearing a heeled shoe. A heeled shoe came about because of inefficient running, overstriding. And so that's the podiatry boom. And it's a relatively new profession. It's like 60 years old that we've been doing all this biomechanical stuff. And it, so it's not too late to change it to some mm. extent, but it's pretty set in its ways. And the biggest issue is that we don't question the footwear that like it's just not questioned. It's always it's never said, "Oh, let's take that heel away." It, it might they might say, "Well, let's go from 
um, a really supportive one to a shoe, to a semi-supported shoe. Um, they might look at things like that, but they don't look at the big picture of taking the shoe away. They don't mm. look at the closed toe box that pushes the big toe sideways, and which is the big toe being straight is another huge stopper of that pronator movement. So when you push it sideways, then the foot's going to keep rolling through off on the inside. So um, they, they don't see that as why it was happening in the first place. So if we just take that away, then we don't have to do the whole orthotic thing. Mm. It's, it's not um, rocket science, really. Yeah, you've touched on so many important points. Yeah, sorry. There. No, 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 it's all good. I'm going yeah. to... Um, just coming back to what you said about yeah. taking away things. And I think... Um, I think it, I was chatting to Mick about this yesterday, how we can take, you know, we, ideally we want to take away things that the body quote unquote needs to feel good. You, you should just feel good and, and strong and mobile in your body without these added technologies or even manual therapies. Of course, there is a place for those technologies and manual therapies and surgeries and medications in certain contexts. Yes. But it's all, uh, what we were saying is it all comes down to the narrative of how those things are prescribed as in it's they aren't prescribed as a fix to the issue they're prescribed as a temporary tool to help you then work on the things that you need to work on in order to not need that tool anymore and I think that's the big part that's missing and and then what you said about um, podiatry being quite a young profession and and you know they're looking at all these biomechanics and and everything and then there's this you know like you said a big running boom of all these sedentary people going running <clears throat> and do you think it, it sort of it seems to have just sort of spiraled like obviously when people were originally running then like they were i think the original nike shoe was quite minimalist yes um yeah you know, like little sprinter um what are they called uh, uh like a waffle yeah like yeah. a waffle kind of sprinter shoe like a dunlop volley yeah not yeah. similar to a dunlop volley and so it started off like that but then all these people with desk jobs and heeled shoes that have that were, are fashion were fashionable and are still fashionable then go running their ankles are tight they don't know how to run or their their joints aren't operating at a point so that they can self-organize and run efficiently and then there's this boom of supportive footwear like you said healed footwear and then adding more support and then it seems like it's just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled because it's like well the only thing we know how to do is add more support so let's just build it up let's be, and yeah. then you end up with shoes like hokers yeah um which are like extreme like I, at first like, when i saw those i actually thought it was a joke <laughs> the those i mean they're i think it's like they're um hiking shoes oh it's but a trail running this, shoe with a it, sweep out the back yeah yeah and i, I actually thought it was a joke well, and even i looked the, into the, it and ho- hocker themselves are like i see patient i see clients with hockers and orthotics and basically it's a moon boot from the ankle down like your foot is offline in that in that environment yeah like i put on a hocker and my foot was offline let alone adding an orthotic to it as well and one is putting support in one way and one's doing it the other way so really your foot is offline and it's like a um when you when a podiatrist can't do anything else, it, I think that's a go-to because it does stop the foot moving and it will take their pain away. But it's going to load up other joints and you're like going to end said, up with other issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a long-term solution yeah. at all. So yeah, it's just, it's self-perpetuating and it's getting worse and worse. And and we're seeing kids as they get younger, um, are getting into their little Nikes, little Asics from a younger age, younger and younger. The the message from the child healthcare nurse the person that helps you through when you're having a baby and, and those first few years with advice, feeding, all this type of stuff. As soon as your child is, um, needs a shoe, it's 
that they'd be in a wide, thin, flat and flexible shoe. For some reason, the narrative changes as soon as they... Um, that, well, first, they're in that shoe because they're w- learning to walk and their foot's developing. Mm. Like I can tell you at 43, my foot is still developing. It so, doesn't ever change. That, that we can, I, know I have clients over 80 that are, their feet are still developing by just working on their feet. And so um, to say that once they're three and going to kinder, three and four going to kinder and putting them in their little Nikes and ASICs for that support and that cushioning and that heel counter and that stiffness in the shoe... It just doesn't make any sense. But that age is getting younger. Like mm. soon, maybe we're going to see new walkers in those little shoe in those little shoes. I already have. Yeah, yeah. And so when when this is happening, it's like it's just prepare. It's like school. It's preparing you for a life of in of inefficient movement. You know, like if you have to sit at school for twelve years and then go to uni and sit for another four years, you've sat for sixteen years of your developmental life, and it's not dissimilar to wearing a shoe from a very young age. You're just getting ready to be in a heeled shoe forever. Mm. And people say, "I can't go without a heel." Well, I understand that because you were in a heel since you were three. The body has developed that way. Yeah, you can't go without the heel right now. But but yeah, it's what, just I think what, what they're what saying people... when I'm suggesting they go without it. And uh, yeah. look, I'm then educating them as to why that is. Yeah. Or even the way the body organizes itself when you put someone in a flat shoe, as soon as you put someone in a heeled shoe, their head is still above their ankles. And so for that to happen, even though they're tipping forward, for their head to still be above mm. their ankles, their body has to organize itself in a way that the knee's in a more flexed position. Ankles, more anterior yeah, tilted. there's a whole chain of events. So when someone first puts a, a flat shoe on, often I hear uh, that they feel like they're falling backwards because their brain says, oh, I'm putting a shoe on and they're so used to a heeled shoe. Mm. And we're not talking like high heels or even wedges. We're just talking or we're just talking like a normal runner that you see everyone in, in the street. Um, that they're, 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 their body is so used to putting a shoe on and having to reorganize that as soon as they put a flat shoe on, it's like tricking it and it goes to reorganize and feels like it's falling backwards. So our brain and our bodies are amazing adapters and they adapt to something that's totally foreign to it, to be in a heel all the time. And they do it from a young age and they do it easily. The beauty of that is to harness it, to adapt back the other way and to come back the other way, I think is a whole lot easier because it's the innate... Um, it has, doesn't have to be learned. It's the body's natural way and it wants to get back into that way and it heals better and functions so much better in that way. So um, that's the good news that I think yeah. you can harness that power of the body's ability to change for the better as well. Yeah, that is, that's a really important point that I think a lot of people don't realize and, and probably traditionally a lot of health professionals and, and doctors haven't paid enough attention to is that the body is constantly constantly developing we have a, obviously a big period of development from you know in our early years but it is constantly developing and adapting to the loads that it gets exposed to and and even neurologically and neurophysiologically there's a really good example of how the body will adapt to something very unnatural is they did this um experiment i guess where they would give people glasses that flipped the world upside down so it's like mirrored glasses and so they would see the world upside down and within about a couple of days um or might maybe it's like two or three days of wearing these glasses maybe don't quote me specifically <laughs> on the days but you know x amount of time wearing these glasses their whole world shifted so that they could see normally with these glasses and so they're seeing upright again yeah and then they take the glasses off 
and in a much shorter time the brain switches back okay yeah and it's kind of a cool example of what you were talking yeah. about how it's well let's switch back to what's natural and the brain the brain and the body will adapt and yes it may take time and yes it may be confusing and challenging like i'm sure when those people took the glasses off and it, the world then went upside down again because they'd adapted to the glasses then they'll they it's like yeah it's harder to get around at first and it's harder to see where you're going and harder to you know do motor tasks but then pushing through that understanding that you know you don't want to be wearing those glasses all the time so just get the glasses off and figure out how to um get back to the natural way. I, yeah. I think that's a cool example. It is. Of, it's of a really good the, example. How the brain and the body can work. And you wouldn't um, send them out in the bush um, on a trail run. Yeah. In that, And this is the, the load variant there. You would just have them in a, an environment that they feel safe in and that's not too much to start with as they transition yeah. from one to the other. Yeah, they're so, where they just have yeah. to sit, stand, walk, yeah. balance maybe, you yeah. know, just very simple things. And then... As they as their brain adapts back, then yeah, then you can go out into a trail run. Yeah. And it's it's the exact same thing with the feet and the body <clears throat> is just getting a really clear picture of where you're at currently and it you know, wherever you're at doesn't mean you're you're a good or a bad person or you know, you you've failed or you've succeeded. It's just you're at this point and you want to, you want to get to this point. You either want to get out of pain or you want to perform better with running or you want to be able to actually get back into running safely or whatever it is, whatever goal. It's just going, okay, let's take a picture of where you're at. Where do you want to go? What are the steps to get there? And inevitably it comes down to gradual loading and appropriate recovery, with, yeah. you know, sleep, nutrition, um, you know, meditate, like non-sleep, uh, deep rest is what Andrew Huberman, how Andrew Huberman refers to it. And then just, yeah, gradually exposing your body to challenge and discomfort and getting, getting comfortable with that discomfort so that that becomes the norm. Yeah. And, and that's what I do as a natural podiatrist. I just measure very rudimentary in a very rudimentary way as to where someone's at and, and help educate them as to where they're at and where they need to go to become functional without pain, where they need to go to become functional without using these words. But that's basically what I'm doing. Just working out where someone's at in their movement or in their, um, in, yeah, in their movement or in their functional capacity. And then just helping them from a starting point work towards something that means they're without pain most of the time. Yeah, and actually, let's talk about the natural podiatry. I know you've done a full four or five podcasts with Nick on, on his TFC Audio project about it, so we don't have to go into that much detail. But just tell me about the project and, or tell people about the project. And I guess, yeah, maybe a bit more about your approach with natural podiatry, because obviously I understand it's less about the feet and more about the whole body, but, you know, starting at the feet. Yeah, so natural podiatry is going to be, or is, it's happening now. We're coming up with, the, we've got the curriculum. We're just um, filling it out and coming up with the content for the curriculum. Um, it's going to be an educational program where other podiatrists that align with being a natural podiatrist can come together and form a community that then grows and develops what natural podiatry is. Just like the Footnote program is for overall health and is constantly changing and adapting natural podiatry will as well and i think there are pro i don't know how many but i know at least a dozen in australia that are this way aligned and so 
um, you could say maybe there are 200 in, around the world that are this way aligned and we're all just kind of doing our own thing. And the collective power of all those people coming together and sharing their knowledge is going to be better for the profession of natural podiatry, the profession of podiatry as well, because we'll become a voice within the... We won't be just like the black sheep of the Melbourne podiatry scene. Mm-hmm. It will be... Um, you know, we'll actually have a, a place within the podiatry community so that when you finish uni, if this is the way you align, then you can become a natural podiatrist. Um, and then we'll be able to yeah, share our knowledge as to how, how we um, go about looking after clients. And so then the community will benefit, which brings me to the next benefit of natural podiatry in, is that when someone's walking down the street and they want to go and see the podiatrist because they've got a foot issue, a lot of the time these days they don't and other health professionals don't even refer to a podiatrist because the outcome is often an orthotic based outcome Mm. and it's less so now than it used to be with a new wave of podiatrists and there's some podiatrists that are definitely not aligned to doing orthotics all the time i need to clarify that because people get a bit upset when i say all podiatrists just prescribe orthotics but um that's the community's um still that's the community's perception of podiatry now so i want them to be able to see that there's a different choice and know of a different choice rather than just being like the one or two guys or people here in Melbourne doing it and a couple in New South Wales. I want it to be a, a choice that people have to go and see a natural podiatrist because that's a, that aligns with their way of looking at their own health mm. because they want to be educated and they want to know what to do to look after themselves. And I think that's when it will become really powerful. Mm. So yeah, we're just at the stage where we're going to be launching later this year. Um, to get members to the Natural Podiatry Society. I just call it Natural Podiatry. I don't really like the word society. It sounds a bit <laughs> exclusive. So I just call it Natural Podiatry. Um, to get members to Natural Podiatry, people, um, podiatrists will pay for that. Um, and there will be a lifelong membership. And it will be like the Foot Nerd program that you bring with you your um, experience and share it with the group and, and feed that back into what the curriculum is. And um, because... As we know, as we spoke about before, universities are a bit antiquated in their ability to change what they're teaching. And this means we can just keep changing it, keep changing the curriculum. And um, and that's what natural podiatry is going to be. So at the moment, um, I'm the like official like leader, but um, Nick is the brainchild behind this. And um, that's Nick in Canada. And then we have two podiatrists in the States. Stephen Bowie, Dr. Stephen Bowie, and Ray McClanahan of Correctos. And then we also have Rena Harris, who's a podiatrist that is totally aligned with this in London. And so um, we're all coming, uh, putting our, um, like we have shares of what we have to add into the curriculum. And then once we have enough, we'll start launching for members. Yeah, yeah. epic. Yeah. And so I think what you said about either young podiatrists or other podiatrists who maybe have been practicing for a while, sorry, I should say fresh podiatrists um, and other podiatrists who may have been practicing for some time, for them to know that there is another way and that there's other people doing things a different way is very huge because I think people can get stuck in that thought of like, you know, I kind of think the body needs to be loaded and, and that includes the feet, but... I see everyone, everyone is doing it this way. So that kind of must be the way. And I think that's a really, it's such an important thing. And also in terms of health as a business or podiatry as a business or anything like that, then there are 
business models that get set up and, and tried and tested over time because obviously if you're a health professional, you've got to make money, you've got to support your family, you've got to eat, you're going to, you know, so on and so forth. So, you know, everyone says don't get into a health profession if you want to make a lot of money, um, which is fair enough because it's, I mean, unless you're a surgeon or something, <laughs> in, the, in which case. But anyway, um, you know, we don't, we obviously, health professionals are coming from a good place I think, you know, in, as, a, as a whole, as a vast majority, health professionals get into the industry because they want to help people um, get out of pain or achieve goals and, you know, become healthier. Yeah. And, you know, there is, at the same time, there is business models that get set up so that we can make money, so that we can eat. But then those business models get quite entrenched. And then, you know, if you go and open a podiatry practice or you go and work in one, then you learn that, okay, well, this is the way that we um, make money. And often that gets tied around a narrative of this is the best way to help the client. But then when there's a mismatch between the two, either you, you realize like you did um, as, a, as a podiatrist with 15, 20 years experience, you realized, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't the best way. Or you come out fresh from uni and you go, I think this isn't the best way based on what I know about my body. Maybe you've trained, you know, you've done a lot of strength training or, you know, natural movement, things like that. And you're like, oh, this makes a lot more sense to me. Then you do have that battle, I guess, between the mismatch between how you make money as a podiatrist or, you know, as XYZ health professional and how you believe you can help someone the best. And so then finding a new way... Uh, you can either make your own way or you can find other people who are doing it already and and learn from them. And so I guess that's what you've done is you've had that transition from being a podiatrist with practicing one way in a traditional sense, transitioning completely to a full natural podiatry um, approach. And then now you're able to share that experience, which is really invaluable experience to be able to share that with other podiatrists who are that way inclined. Yeah, I, I, and I was lucky. I was in a business partnership that set me up to to a point financially and with the backing of enough clients for my regular work to be able to then go, okay, I'm, now I'm going to be a natural podiatrist. This is how I'm going to do it. But um, it's, it, it's a, it is a different model and I'll, part of the curriculum is teaching that model or teaching ways around that model. Unfortunately, podiatry traditionally has a real set around um, making money out of orthotics. I've known podiatrists get key performance indicated out of their jobs because they're not prescribing enough orthotics. Yep. They're still getting great results with their clients, but they're not prescribing an orthotic. Like to me, that sounds like perfect, you know, mm. or they're not seeing someone often enough. Whereas I might have an initial consultation of an hour and 15 minutes and then catch up with someone a month later or just act as a resource for them from then on. And I'm not even getting any money out of that client anymore. I even had someone say this week, wow, this is weird. I'm leaving and I'm not making another appointment from a health professional. Like I'm like, that's gold for me because that means I've educated them to a point where they can look after themselves, but use me as a resource. Like if there's something big comes up, sure, we'll make another appointment, but I don't need you to come next week because I've got five other people that need this education as well mm. coming to see me, you know? And so natural podiatry is going to be um, about educating in that realm as well. And I think natural podiatry is not going to be about how to be a natural podiatrist in terms of the the nuts and bolts of um, of assessment and treatment, but it's going to be more about support being a podiatrist in that in this realm. Mm. Uh, and you know, it, so the curriculum is def is not going to be 
um, saying this is what you, how you treat a child with this condition. You know, it's more about look at the natural principles of how a child should be moving and apply that. So we're going to be teaching you to look through a different lens. And same with business, it's looking through a different lens. And and I've successfully done it, but I still have a um, a large proportion of routine um, podiatry. And for those that don't know, um, routine podiatry is what most podiatrists are doing, and that's just cutting people's toenails and getting rid of dead skin and ingrown toenails and corns, which um, is less sexy for podiatry, but it is still can have a huge, natural podiatry can still have a huge influence on it because for every Mm. corn I've seen, if they were never in a shoe that squished their toes, there would not be a corn in nearly 100% of cases. Um, For every ingrown toenail, if people were just not squishing their toes into shoes, then they wouldn't have an ingrown toenail. So natural podiatry is relevant across the board in podiatry. And, and I was going to talk about something else before as well, before we got onto natural podiatry so much, and we're flitting around, but I think it's all interesting. Um, sorry. Uh, in, in, in that, um, you know, we never stop adapting. I wanted to make a point about that because we see a stroke client, a client that's had a stroke when they're 60 and they're still... Uh, you know, tapping the foot, providing feedback for the for a barefoot, giving therapy for feet for because the body is still going to adapt when they're sixty when they've had a stroke. Um, I just want to make that point. So it's kind of out of the realm of what we we're just talking about, but um, I just think it's really relevant that other health professionals use our feet and use um, all the principles of natural podiatry. Yet podiatry podiatrists don't mm. traditional podiatrists don't, but osteos. Chiros, physios, they're, they're all open to this way of working and they do it every day, but natural podiatr- podiatrists don't. And natural podiatry is kind of... like Sometimes I wish I had exercise physiology across my name instead of podiatrist because then people would come to me expecting exercises mm. or maybe even better, um, habitual changer because that's probably the most powerful <laughs> um, tool for natural podiatry to create habitual change in people's lives. Yeah, so I've just given, like, I've just totally ruined the whole topic. But I had some things I wanted to get off my yeah, head. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's touching on something that I think is also really important is, is that I think, I think it is still important that it's, like you said, in many ways, all health professionals that are aligned uh, with certain values will generally practice in the same way. And that is looking at the, how the body functions as a whole, what key things it might be missing in terms of movements or loads or you know what key things they might be needing to take away like cushioned shoes or you know or whatever um or braces you know any kind of brace anything anything that limits movement um yeah anything that limits movement and movement variability and at the same time having those distinctions where you're a natural you're a podiatrist or a natural podiatrist then people go okay i go to that person for my foot and then it gives you it's a conversation starter so like you said you don't necessarily want to be seeing someone over and over and over again yeah because a big part of your role is providing the education that they need to to take more control of what they're doing in their life and and take more control of their foot health but then also you you in your role and with your expertise may not be the best person to help someone with an ongoing strength program. That yeah. would be an exercise physiologist. Yes. Or, you know, it's, it's that example. You're not necessarily the person that needs to talk to someone about their diet because it's, out, it's not your scope of practice and it's not your expertise. But 
at least you start the conversation about natural foot health and therefore natural health overall as a body, as a human. And then you're able to facilitate and direct them to people who are in a position to help them with those things that they do need help with. Um, and that's where I think, you know, obviously having the society of natural podiatrists <laughs> um, to work together and support each other as natural podiatrists, but then also for that to be so closely linked with the Foot Collective, which, you know, we will have, be rolling out a, um, a TFC Health Pro uh, yeah. program as well, where we do connect all of these like-minded practitioners where you know that if someone's a foot nerd or a, a TFC health pro, then they're on the same wavelength about you with you about all of this stuff, but they might have a different expertise. And you go, okay, well, look, I, I want you to get out of these shoes. For your foot issue, I want you to transition to barefoot or minimalist footwear. I want you to start doing these foot exercises, for example. Um, you know, obviously it's case by case. Yeah. Um, and I also want you to start strengthening your overall body, you know, if, or, you know, depending on their goals, but start strengthening or start a, I, I think it'd be really important for you to look at your nutrition or really important to look at your sleep. Here's someone in our community who has the expertise in that area. And, you know, and they'll also be supporting what you say about feet. Yeah. And, you know, because the issue with referrals is that you might refer someone to a nutritionist down the road who you don't really know, which obviously it doesn't work this way all the time. But you you know you like oh say oh yeah there's a nutritionist down the road or there's a nutritionist in your practice or something like that. Yeah. But you guys don't you don't know each other. She doesn't know how you work necessarily yeah. and so on. And then that nutritionist goes oh what he told you to get out of your orthotics. Oh no go see my podiatrist. You know yeah. you, sh you should get a second opinion from my podiatrist. And whereas we we need to have um, consistency in that understanding and that uh, appreciation and that focus on natural health as a whole and each be approaching it from our own areas of expertise yeah and i think natural podiatry can be a link for that you know for other health professionals to come in and see where the natural podiatrist is mm. in the area because uh my biggest referrals are osteos and some pilates studios and they uh, they may have found me on instagram or through word of mouth but there must be so many other osteos and and other health professionals that want a podiatrist that's that way aligned and they don't even know where to start looking. And so they hesitantly give the say and go and see this podiatrist, you know, this is the one on the corner. Um, but if they can so if they can find a natural podiatrist because of natural podiatry, because it becomes known, then that become that that is also a source of referrals for other natural podiatrists. So yeah, I think that would be helpful. This is the collective um, being a collective of, of sorts makes it far more powerful Absolutely, to become known, to know that that's an option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the business model of a natural podiatrist, there is a whole podcast on this. So I do recommend looking into that, but you talk about on that podcast, you and Nick talk about how the business model currently for traditional podiatry is orthotic prescription as in a large part, obviously you get some consultation fees, but in terms of, um, yeah, like those KPIs that you said and yeah. actually bumping up the amount of income that comes into the clinic, an orthotic prescription is pretty huge. And I think we as health professionals, especially I've found in, in our circle of people who are really, really about helping people and about taking things away, we can have that hesitancy or hesitance, <laughs> hesitancy yes. to 
sell something, you know, yes. to say, oh, you, you should get in these shoes. And it is like, it feels like, oh, it's weird. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you kind of want to just be like, well, do what you want. But yeah. at some point, someone does need to be just told, no, those shoes are, are causing you your issues. If you want to stop getting those issues, then we need to get you out of those shoes. And we need to get you in something that promotes the natural function of the foot because that's what we do here with natural podiatry is restore or facilitate the natural function of the foot. We're not going to be able to do that if you're spending 8, 10, 12 hours in shoes or footwear that restricts or alters the natural foot function. And so I think including that as part of the business model, you might make less money on shoes than you make on um, Orthotics. orthotics, but... That is probably the most valuable thing you can give someone yeah. or the most valuable part of the education is let's address the environment that your foot spends the most amount of time in. And that is generally people's shoes. Yeah. And uh, as you know, I was really re- reticent reticent to um, sell shoes because I think it clouds my message. Mm. If I'm sa- telling someone that they need to change their shoes and, and this is the style of shoe and people go, oh, where do I get that from? Oh, I sell it as well. Then suddenly it clouds that I just told them that. So um, that's why I was so slow to do it. But minimalist shoes are really hard to come by. If you go to the Athletes Foot or Active Feet or any of the big shoe stores, th- there's not one minimalist shoe there. Mm. Merrill sells some shoes, um, but there's like two in a store of 50 pairs of shoes, you know. And, and so to um, – and I am actually the best placed to sell a shoe because I know foot function. And so why should someone go to a shoe store to get something that is not – relevant to their natural foot function mm. and um buy and, and have it sold to them by someone who's trying to make a sale and so i don't um, advertise that i sell shoes much at all as in i don't advertise it much i advertise it a little bit um, because i think it's important people know that i can be a source for shoes as well but i don't want it to cloud the message of natural foot function and it's a bonus to my wage definitely to have shoe sales but it's not the be all and end all. So I do it more of a ser- as a service. There's one shop here in Melbourne that sells minimalist shoes and they're not close to where I work. And so it's also a disadvantage to my clients if I don't sell it because they probably won't go and get the shoe because it's so far away. And so I'm actually um, just making the transition easier for them. Yeah. But it is um, natural podiatry. The curriculum talks about, it will have a lot about the way the business can run. Um, and how to make make it successful. And it's actually more satisfying because people are becoming reliant upon themselves because of the way you educate them. Mm. And they talk to their friends about how well they're feeling and then they send their friends. And um, you're an edu- uh, pure, not a purely an educator, but more of an educator than anything else. Mm. And that's highly satisfying as a natural podiatrist. Mm. Yeah. And it is a, it's a better service for someone if... if if, they're, if you're recommending something based on their individual foot function um, from what you've seen, and obviously your recommendations aren't always going to be, oh, you have to get this Vivo barefoot shoe, or you have to get this. It's, it's going to be case by case, and you mm-hmm. might suggest some kind of interim shoe, or you might suggest taking the orthotic out first. And, you know, it's a gradual thing. But if they're here learning from you, getting education from you, and learning about their feet, then... It's a much better service if they can actually try on shoes yep. or um, at least experience them while they're with you. And you can talk to them and go, so how does that feel based on you know these factors? And you can work with different things to change or different fits or whatever um, that actually 
results in a better outcome for that client. And that's what we're all about is just getting better outcomes. Um, and yeah, if it helps sell, if it helps boost a little bit of income, then that's good for you. And also it's better for the client. Yes. And, um, I think, I think it's very important to remember that what you're doing as a natural podiatrist is reducing someone's reliance on seeing a health professional in the long term. Yeah. Because even if the shoes were 600 bucks and your, and your, your, um, consultation was 400 bucks and they spent a grand, but that meant that they never had to go and see a podiatrist again. Yeah. That would save them thousands in the long run versus yes. someone who goes back and gets custom, custom orthotics again and again and again every year and sees the, podiatrist again and again but still has pain and issues popping up throughout the rest of their body so i think it you know that's the other thing with these services is that if we're taking more time with someone more time more really one-on-one time caring about them and and um educating them and really delving in and, and helping them become a more independent resilient human then that is worth a lot more than the alternative Definitely. and so you can charge more for your service and you've found that you have been able to increase your fees for the service because of the amount that goes into it because of all the pre and post work that's involved it's not just the consultation you do a lot of pre-work you do a lot of post work you talk to the person beforehand um, they can they can give you a call afterwards Afterwards. or weeks after and all this time that's involved um, but it allows you to charge more for your service and then to have yourself booked out in advance, um, which you, you were saying that you are, yeah. uh, in a way that gives you that financial security that you do need just from a logistical yeah. point of view. Yeah. And and in this realm, I'm an idealist or a purist. Like I would say that, you know, where you can all... But in the clinic, we are you're dealing with real life. And so then you have to become a realist and footwear might not always be easily changed. And... And so natural podiatry is also going to be about explain like those different levels of being able to um, bring in natural function. And the man, the point of the manifesto that talks about that is that our primary objective is natural foot function. Like if you just keep that as the lens you're always looking through, it can be, it's a huge realm. It doesn't mean everyone has to go barefoot in the bush tomorrow. It's just taking those baby steps and just but keeping natural foot function as, as that primary objective. Um, as to how someone can heal because the body will innately heal if you give it the right um, environment Mm. yeah speaking of barefoot in the bush yeah (laughs) we've been we've been hanging out this afternoon and and you've been giving me a bit of an assessment and helping me out with this foot injury that i sustained and i thought it would be good to chat about on on the podcast about feet and footwear with you because it is quite a good learning lesson and i just put out a video today about it and i put out um it's been three weeks since it happened and I originally when the injury happened, I put out another video about the importance of context when it comes to footwear. And I think it's been a really great experience for me because first of all, I've never really had any foot pain. Um, I do have a lot of empathy. I've had chronic pain in other areas like my shoulder and my knees. Um, and I do have a lot of empathy for people who do experience that persistent pain because I know how frustrating it is, but I've never actually experienced foot pain specifically. And 
long story short, I was out in the bush. Mind you, I wasn't barefoot. So this is one of the, the um, rare times that I'm not barefoot. <laughs> but I'd been using these Disrupt footwear, which is the TFC footwear, which are very thin, very minimal shoes, basically like Creek shoes. I'd been using them as a, a nice slip-on thing um, out at TFC Bush One, which is our sort of nature reserve kind of area. <laughs> um, and anyway, we went out into unfamiliar terrain to get firewood. And then I'm wearing these disrupts and I'm carrying a big heavy log on my shoulder and then walking along, not really looking where I'm going because I'm thinking about this big heavy log. And then, but also, interestingly, I just had this thought because I had shoes on, I had this idea that I was protected. <laughs> mm. So I'm just sort of stomping through. And then there's a stick at the exact right angle that just punctures straight through the disrupt into my, in deep into the ball of my foot, um, just next to the base of my big toe and nice and deep, like a good few centimeters. And so there you go. Nice big puncture wound gets infected. Um, despite cleaning it out in the bush gets infected, really nasty infection, needed antibiotics and, and so on. And, and so now three weeks later, it's still having issues and I'm a little bit impatient. I'm like, oh, can it just be fixed now? <laughs> but, you know, I'm still limping. I can't put much pressure through it and I'm having these issues. So in one sense, it's like, it's good to be barefoot as much as possible, but safety first. Obviously, you know, we talk about in TFC, protect, correct, develop. And so protecting your feet is obviously a very important function of footwear. But and protect in that sense is usually take off the, <laughs> the crappy shoes. I know, but yes, but but acknowledging the importance of... What should footwear be? Yeah, it's protection. Yeah. And, and we shouldn't have to protect ourselves from the protection. Yeah. <laughs> so we should be wearing protection that facilitates as much natural movement as possible. But then also understanding the risk management involved in what activities you're doing and what you're stepping on and all of that. Because, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people's risk tolerance is very low. And so they go, oh, you're barefoot along the street. Aren't you, going, aren't you worried you're going to step on glass? I've only stepped on glass once while walking barefoot. And that was when I was on my phone. And yeah. so I wasn't looking where I was going. Whereas I've been around glass a lot and you just dodge it or you can sort of see, and I don't recommend this to everyone, but you can see what glass is dangerous and what glass isn't. And yeah. I've walked across glass before and it's just chunks and it doesn't do anything. Yeah, this is a highly rare, this is an extraordinarily <laughs> rare occasion yes. of a puncture wound that went through a shoe Yeah, and it's a very minimal shoe. But it, like I am dealing with barefooters all the time and uh, as are you, and this is not, an often occurring situation. No, is no, it? exactly. But and it's it, a huge lesson. It's a sign so. from the universe that <laughs> I needed to have some foot pain in my life. <laughs> but it also, you know, just acknowledging, like I do have some Vivo barefoot trackers, which are a heavier duty leather boot with, yeah. um, you know, a thicker sole. And, and for certain activities, I may need to sacrifice on the mobility of the shoe yeah. and the, you know, and the, the, the flexibility and everything of the shoe in order to provide a level of safety where whereby I can just stomp around with heavy logs yeah. or, you know, use a chainsaw or whatever and not be very concerned about my foot health yep. because obviously we do have to protect our feet from the footwear that causes it issues. But if that's what we're doing most of the time, if we're barefoot and in minimal, you know, as minimal shoes as possible most of the time, then having your 
foot in a thicker boot while you're doing heavy work if it's a more rare occurrence, which it is for me currently, (laughs) um, then that's fine. You sacrifice a bit on that and you get the safety and then you don't have as much risk of these injuries. And even though like I might go out to bush one and be in my disrupts for years and that might never happen to me. Yeah, but it did. (laughs) But it did happen. Um, And then it's just, it's just now when I go and into unfamiliar terrain where I'm collecting heavy wood or using tools and chainsaws and axes and things like that, then I'll probably wear my boots. Yeah. And then once I'm done with that work, then I'll take my boots off and go barefoot or wear the disrupts. And it's, it's just acknowledging that there's no one right way. It's not like you have to be barefoot all the time and it's yeah. not like you have to be in minimal shoes or, you know, all the time, either. all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's not like, you know, people go, oh, but I want to be able to wear high heels. And it's like, yeah, right. wear yeah. high heels. But you put your foot, put your feet and your body in the best position possible um, for most of the time. And then when you do go into the, the other footwear that maybe isn't as ideal, then your body can handle it, your feet can handle it. And if you lay that foundation of functional capacity and movement health, then you can get away with those things. It's just more when everything accumulates and everything in your day-to-day is sort of weakening and stiffening then that's when it all becomes much more of a problem so that brings up a few points for me Um, a shoe should merely protect you from heat cold and sharp things and obviously that shoe wasn't protecting you from sharp things Mm. so it wasn't performing its duty exactly but that's what a shoe should be and that's what a shoe traditionally was but now there's a whole lot of societal um, expectations around shoes that put heels on them and make them pointy all this type of thing and so the workplace is a really like there's probably the most oft answered asked question is what shoes can I wear to work like on the work site mm. because they need a steel cap and it needs to be a strong a, a thick sole and so I do have some builders in that tracker um, but mostly it's about like especially if you're on a union run site you need to have a steel cap like there's very strict rules about this so right. then it becomes all about doing the right thing the rest of the time exactly. like if you're doing 40 hours a week on your feet at work and you and that's non-negotiable then it's all about doing the rest of the time for me, I can, like, as an example, I don't need to wear a shoe like that at all. So I don't have to do so much of the extra stuff. I don't have to do the exercises so much. I don't have to do the toe spaces so much because my feet are free most of the time. Mm. But for someone that's putting their foot in that, in, like, less than ideal environment for 40 hours a week, then um, you're going to have to do some of those extra things to, to counter it. And similar with sitting. If we have to sit, then we're going to have to do some counter, counter activities for, for your hips. If you don't sit, you don't have to do so many counter activities for your hips. So it's just all about your own personal balance. Mm. Yeah, it's like diet, and I love the movement nutrition analogy. Is you know if you if your diet prohibits you getting protein, for example, you just like for some reason you you only want to eat fruit. You're a fruitarian. Yeah. Then supplementing with some protein um, is going to be pretty important. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not ideal. You'd prefer to get that protein from whole foods. Um, in terms of just physiologically what the body needs. Yeah. But, and I'm not actually sure how much protein fruit has in it now that I think about it, but you get the idea. Yeah. Um, you can take supplements. It's not ideal, but if that's what you need to do to get by, then fine. Yeah. And if you find that it's not working for you or, um, you know, you don't want to take the supplements, then change your diet, <laughs> start eating whole food, you know, or, you know, in that work context is if you're really suffering 
and you can't get out of your boots because it's non-negotiable at work, find a different job. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it sounds harsh, but you, you got to take control of your life and it's yeah. just about your priorities. Either your priority is staying at that job and, you know, trying, trying your best to manage the symptoms of whatever that um, situation is or changing the job. Yeah. But, you know, I think people can get trapped in this idea of like, oh, well, I can't change my job and... I kind of don't want to do those exercises. Yeah. So how much do you really want it? You know, yeah, like if you've yeah. got foot pain, this is what gets me. People come to me with foot pain and come back three weeks later for a review and they, oh, I've still got foot pain. Well, you, what, have you, what have you changed? Like, what have we talked about? Oh, I haven't really changed. You know what? Like what you put in is what you get out with this type of thing. Mm. But it was also a long haul and an habitual change takes time. But um, yeah, like we all have choices. We have choices. Well, in this privileged um, society that we live in, we have choices, don't we? Yes, exactly. Yeah. We have a lot of choices. And I think that sometimes people don't want to see those choices. Some people, Sometimes people get trained into thinking they don't have a choice. Um, you know, they, they, they get taught or they get educated of like, oh, no, this is the only option. Um, but having awareness of that choice and just taking responsibility for your health and and I think acknowledging people need to think more long term. You know, if you have all the money in the world, like obviously you need X amount of money to live. But if you retire rich um, and your health is poor, you're not really going to enjoy that money. I can guarantee you could ask anyone who's got money and doesn't have their health. I think there's a saying it's like um, a healthy a healthy man wants many things, or a healthy person wants many things an unhealthy person only wants one yeah. and that's to regain their health. And I think people don't, I mean, it's always the way with humans. We're very short term focused in general and, and people don't, and it's, that's because of evolutionary, um, you know, our evolutionary background of focusing on short term survival, but it is hard for people to look at the long term ramifications of the decisions they're making now because they are in short term survival mode. But then if, if they can take that broader bird's eye view and go, hang on, where do I want to be in 10 years? Do I want to be debilitated with pain or do I want to be moving freely and you know enjoying my time with my kids or my grandkids or whatever? And then it's just going, okay, well, what steps do I have to get to, to get there? Do I need to change my job? Do I need to change my house? Do I need to change my friendship circle? Do, you know, whatever it is. Um, and hopefully in most cases, it's not as extreme but yeah, just, just owning the fact that you have a choice and, you know, what, what are your values? What do you value? And how can you make your life align with those values? Yeah. Yeah. It got a bit deep there, but... No, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, if we're just talking about shoes, even that we prioritize what other people think or what, what we think is ideal, you know, like it, it's, it, there's so many layers to what you're talking about there mm. and it's relevant on... On, on yeah, many levels. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And... I know we're gonna, we'll, we'll have to wrap up soon, but I just wanted to touch on social media and Instagram as, yeah. a, as an interesting thing because I've watched your Instagram channel grow over the last couple of years. So Andy on Instagram is Andy Bryant underscore podiatrist. That's right. And it's really cool because you're, you're um, you know, it's nothing fancy. You, you li- literally take the concepts that you talk about every day and you put it into a little graphic with a picture and... It gets such good engagement. You get so many comments, so many, and you're getting a lot of followers and and people are obviously resonating with what you're putting out. And 
I've had my own experience with Instagram. I, I, was, I struggled with it, quite frankly, for a good couple of years. I've never been a, very much of a social media person and then using it for business coming off just being a physio and knowing nothing about business or marketing was an interesting transition for me. I was just interested to hear about your experience and your transition with um, putting your message out there on social media. Yeah, as a traditional podiatrist, I didn't use it at all. But and I was still, and if you look at the my page, it shows the beginnings of me putting stuff on social media, and they're interspersed with stuff from my kids, you know, like riding a bike and just really random stuff that's got nothing to do with <laughs> me being a podiatrist, really. And I've actually taken some of that stuff away because suddenly there's all these people looking at it. And I'm like, oh, I don't really want to see my kids Stop in the school uniform. That's yeah. right. So, um, but yeah, so it's a really you can see how my ideas have developed. And um, I repost things from my own stuff, like from a year ago, but mm. um, I read what I wrote and I'm like, oh, I'd explain that differently now and I change it up. Mm. So for me, it's been really good because I, it's like a, you can see my growth. Um, and because I went out alone in business um, 18 months ago and had this realm to really explore being a natural podiatrist, it's been really powerful for me getting new clients. Mm. And I didn't expect it to be, but I, I do use it um, for that. Use it for two things to um, educate the masses. Like I like to put out a simple message that makes people think, and also I use it to um, bring new clients to see me personally. Mm. I do a little bit of online, but I don't enjoy the online stuff so much, so I don't encourage it. In fact, um, when anyone asks me, and I get asked a lot for online consults, I try and find someone in nearby. Mm like wherever they might be in the world that is aligned with the way I work and yeah. send them there. And that's one of my um, motives behind natural podiatry yeah, because then I'll at least um, be able to send them to other natural podiatrists rather than, you know, gate happens is really big and she's um, caught and Joe did have a great um, list of people that are this way aligned. So I'll often just look up that list and go, well, here's someone else in your area. Mm. If it doesn't sort, if it doesn't work out, come and see me. It builds up trust straight away by saying that. But anyway, um, mostly it's for my, to bring people to see me in the clinic here. And um, I do that by um, engaging with people that are in Melbourne, mm. mostly, um, other health professionals that might refer to me. And so I'm seeing like probably three or four new clients a week because of Instagram. And so therefore I would say it's extraordinarily successful mm, mm. for me. I really enjoy the forum, but I enjoy having a rest from it as well. Yeah. Um, and I did a big rest over January and... I thought I'd be just full of ideas for how to explain. Like I just love coming up with new ideas. And so I've just got like, I'm jotting them down all the time. Or if I'm just speaking to a client, I'm coming up with new ideas. I jot them down, just have them in drafts and just get them ready to go when I feel like it. Um, but I thought having a break, I'd be just in flux of new ideas, but it was amazing. I didn't think about feet at all. And it was brilliant. <laughs> and I've got another break coming up in uh, early July and I'm really looking forward to it because I think it does consume a fair bit of my mind thinking about it mm. I did um, I started on the curriculum for natural podiatry this week and that took up my mind and suddenly I stopped thinking about how to explain basic foot stuff on Instagram like it does take up a fair bit of my mind um, but I, I really enjoy it and I love coming up with a simple message that explains foot function because it should be really quite simple um, yeah so that's that's what it is for me I do, and maybe I, I'm always surprised by the engagement, but I also have um, like a policy. If someone can be bothered saying something, that I'll be bothered to um, say something back pretty much. If they ask me a question, I'll answer a question sincerely, sincerely yeah. without anything um, in depth. And I let them know that I can't be in depth on that forum. Like mm. I'm not rude 
Um, and I've been baited a few times and it's a horrible experience and it is um, something that I just avoid at all costs now. So I don't get involved in arguments. I just keep it um, on my level and control it that way. But yeah. I, really, I really enjoy the forum. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It sounds like you've got a really balanced approach with it. And, yeah. and I, I do really enjoy your content and and always love i always find myself going oh why didn't i think of explaining that or like why didn't i think of putting that together because it is such simple stuff but then once you see it you're like sweet spot on and it's very it is very easy to grasp and i guess maybe especially because of my background and that i align so much with the way you think but it is clear that it's reaching more people more and more and more people and you know you're getting more and more comments and more and more followers like i said and it it is that is such a important thing for it because there is just so many or there are so many people on Instagram and if those like I said even more before <laughs> if those people are following and curating their um, their feed to be a lot of this empowering simple you know health health promoting function promoting content then even though they're not getting a, you know, they're not doing a full course, they start to take on some of those values and those concepts into there. And then when they see other things that are similar, they go, oh, okay, I get it. He said that and he said that. Okay, that yeah. makes sense because of this. And I, yeah, like I said, I've had my own struggles with Instagram, but I've found um, just the ability to connect with people and then to make in-person connections. I've, I've always, I just haven't been much of a digital dude. Like I really love connecting yeah. with people in person, but I've struggled with that sort of non face to face, um, especially texting. Um, but using it to facilitate in-person connections, like the workshops, I absolutely like love us. meeting at the yeah. workshops and like you, yeah, yeah, like I wouldn't be sitting here yeah. talking to you if it wasn't for Instagram or I wouldn't, you know, especially not even talking to Nick at all yeah. and starting the foot collective. So it, there is so much power in, being able to make these connections with other like-minded people in a community wherever they are and then to facilitate in-person connections. Yeah. So, yeah. Like I'm, the reason, whole reason for this trip is we're down for a workshop and then we've got a hike on Sunday and a park session on the Sunday afternoon. And there's all these people that follow us and that I've never met, but they're keen to come uh, come and hang out and move and play. And, yeah. and it's, it is a really, really good feeling. That's where when, the gold is. That's where like yeah. the, the good stuff is, isn't it? And I have rules for Instagram as well for myself. Like I don't follow anyone that annoys me. So like if I get start feeling tense when I'm following them or looking at them, I don't. And then I keep, limit my followers to people that I can engage with as well. Like I'll only um, follow someone because... I'm interested in what they're saying or mm. if they're a local business as well yeah, and yeah. that hopefully aligns with the way I work. Um, you know, so I, I keep it to myself. I do think I'll probably look at it too much because so, it's like addic- it is an addictive realm. Literally, and yeah. my wife says that I'm an over poster, but I, um, I, I, don't, I don't follow any like set social media rules. I just have my own little rules mm. about that type of stuff. Mm. And, and so, yeah, it seems to be working out for me, but it, it, it's like a, it, it could so easily take over oh, yeah. and, and do too much. Like our 14 year old wants to, she's got a phone, wants to go on Instagram. I think she should, so she can learn how to use it um, efficiently and properly. My wife's like, oh no, maybe she shouldn't just yet. Might be wishful thinking. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's um, trying, it's aiming for our time all the time, you know, yeah. like as Nick's, you know, Nick's um, opened my eyes to that. Um, it's, it, our time is valuable and it's, 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 
taking our time. And then in a way we're cashing in on that by other people looking at us, um, looking at our stuff using their time and I'm not paying for that, you know? Um, mm, so mm. It, it's this, it's a really, could become a really nasty beast, but I'm using it effectively at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it is a nasty beast in general, but it is a very, a very amazing tool when used properly. It is just, it is tough to use it properly. And I've, there's many, many times where I've found myself just aimlessly scrolling. And yeah. You catch yourself. Jeez, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. And then sometimes I'll catch myself and I'll be like, oh, I don't care. I just want to scroll. Yeah. And <laughs> I'll waste, you know, yeah. half an hour. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't time it, but. <laughs> I think um, it's really important to be genuine on it. And I think I am genuine. And then, um, yeah, to just not get upset about stuff. You know, yeah. if it upsets you, then just move on. Yeah. It's not exactly. worth it. And not, and not get your fix of feeling good from your Instagram, you know, yeah. get your fix. Like I definitely walk my dogs without um, my phone and I often post and then leave. And like when I'm about to work for three hours and not be able to look at my phone yeah. or when I'm about to go to sleep so that I'm not feedback, feeding back into what's um, going on there. Yeah, um, but cool. other times I post something and, and sit there and watch what happens as yeah. well. So like we're all human yeah. Um, yeah. and we have to be of this world. And yeah, anyway, it's, I, yeah. I, like I said, I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, I, I definitely enjoy it too. And, I, and I've found, especially having a bit, I've found having more structure and more rules to my social media use has helped a lot. And knowing what kind of content I want to post each week and things like that. Like I've been doing the weekly themes yeah. lately. And yeah, I like that. It just helps structure my thoughts and and makes me not being like oh what do i need to post and then you, you, know, you get stressed yeah, each day about what yeah. to post but you can take- be so um you can so be triggered by that as well though because when you post something and you get a lot of positive reinforcement you're more likely to post that again yeah and i used to be on strava when i was a cyclist and it's it's social media for athletes basically yeah and so you end up doing more kilometers doing them faster um, because <laughs> you're get getting positive likes. feedback uh, from it. And when I stopped riding, I was still putting my running up there sometimes. And then I did a 50K um, minimalist shoe hike and I got massive feedback. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to do more of this. And then I like, had to self-check, like, why am I doing this? You yeah, know? is it for me? Is yeah. it for them? And I have posts on Instagram that I think, that's a brilliant post. That's so exactly what I want to portray. And it does really poorly yeah. in terms of the feedback I get. And it's really hard to to stick to doing that because you end up just putting out stuff that's popularist. You know, you can yeah. easily fall into the trap of trap of, trap of um, trying to be popular. Yeah. There's a place for that as well. I think um, putting out stuff that's really super simple um, that, you know, like I put up, I remember um, a post came through from Switzerland, Vivo barefoot Switzerland and it had the picture, the x-ray of mm. an, a, a foot in a Nike and a foot in a Vivo, but they were on two, two separate pages and I thought, oh, that would look good one above the other. And I did that. And that's like, got, it went viral. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, and, and there was a lot of naysayers, oh, they're different feet. It doesn't even matter. It just got people thinking what, like for me, I see that post and think, what does, um, if people can see that and go, oh, what is this shoe doing to my foot compared to being a barefoot? Yeah. Then that's message, like that's it. Like I've, that's all I need people to think about, you yeah. know, yeah. because then they're getting, they're starting to think about their footwear. And so, yeah, something so simple can be so powerful. Mm. Whereas I might put in, and that took me like 30 seconds to do, compared to me putting in half, never half an hour, it might be like 10 minutes. Like I just don't even use an official like thing. I just use the Apple things. And it might 10 minutes of, and I have to find some pictures to do it. And I'm really portraying this great, um, important educational aspect of footwear or feet 
and it's just like it means nothing flops. to people. Yeah, <laughs> flops, and that's fine. Like at least it's out there, and I often use it as a reference for clients. So I say send them posts, or if people ask me questions. Here's a post explaining that because it takes. Mm. You know, I've done yeah. it in such a simple way. It's really worth it. True, and yeah. I think that's a good point. And I, I've found myself getting into the that mindset of like. You know, say if I post a longer video explaining something, I go, oh, not as many people like those videos and not as many people watch. So, and then I get like, well, should I even post it? But then, what, you know, it's if you've got a hankering to post something, like my foot update today, I'm yeah. sure it's a seven minute long video. I'll probably get two people that watch the whole video <laughs> on Instagram. But I wanted to put it out because yeah. I thought it was an important message and it was an important part of my experience. And I was kind of itching. I was like, yeah. I kind of wanted to put something out for, you know, the week I did take a week off socials, which was really good. Yeah. I think it's important to take breaks, but then I was like itching. Like I need to put a post out about my foot, even knowing that not many people yeah. are going to watch it, but that's okay. As long as it's I put important, it out. It's important to you. Yeah. So that's why it's relevant to do, which is why it ends yeah. up on the page. And, and, and you might find that um, someone comes along with something similar. And you go, Hey, here's my experience. And like, it's great to have those references just to be able to go here, look at this, yeah. look at this. And I feel like I've, I, to begin with, I hated doing that because I was sending them to a social media mm. um, page. But this is really simple um, and important information. And if that's out, that tool's out there, just like, let's do it. And my website has been redesigned recently. And because once it goes on Instagram, they could just pull it all off and I would lose all that content. Mm. So I'm very, very slowly um, putting those posts into mini blogs so that yeah. when people come across my website, just because they're looking up a podiatrist, they can see what I'm on about. And, and, um, I think, yeah, like having another place for that information is going to be helpful as well. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. We've started doing done, blogs on that, our yeah. website, but, um, and we've started uh, YouTube and Facebook and obviously, and we're sort of cross cross pollinating. Um, and then the next big project will be TFC mighty mighty network where we'll have a lot more control over what goes on there and, and, um, what conversations can be had and, I guess, yeah, there's much less of a risk of it all being pulled. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much of a risk that is on Instagram or Facebook. Maybe maybe not much, but um, at least it's a decluttered sort of platform where people can just go to view the information that they want to view and not be distracted by all the ads and the, you know, I guess the noise of Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. So um, if, I think about it. If my Instagram got pulled, I just had this quick vision of that happening. It, I would be totally fine. I would just have to physically go around to some... Um, other health professionals in the area. Like I'm using it to build up business here for me, you know? And so I'd go around to health professionals in the area with a very succinct way that of me being a podiatrist, I'd probably be more successful because they would see me in person and and they would value my time. Yeah. Um, I I don't have time to do that, but I think, wow, there's something that I could like, that's my main goal on Instagram, you know? And then Mm. maybe I would start um, doing some, foot workshops which we do anyway you know yeah that that would be another way to get it out to the masses if they're my two goals i would just have to personally visit local practitioners Mm. and um somehow get my message across to the masses through um some other advertising medium yeah yeah well we're coming up on time yeah (laughs) i want to be respectful of your time um it's about dinner time too but um I definitely want to do a follow-up podcast when we come back next next time to Melbourne, which will yep. be later in the year, um, because we'll have some developments on the Natural Podiatry Society and all of that. <laughs> yes. um, and also the Natural Running um, digital product that we're working yep. on as well. So we're, Mick um, from Melbourne Soft Tissue 
is running a natural running workshop tomorrow after mine. And, um, I know you've been, you guys have been collaborating a little bit, um, and sharing ideas and then we're going to be building a natural running online offering and we're going to have a meeting about that tomorrow as well, actually, yeah, which, is, which is super exciting. It's a very exciting yeah, project. So really I, I don't want to dig into it now because just for time and also I think it probably deserves its own podcast in yeah. a sense. And, um, but uh, let's do a follow up because yeah. there's a lot more stuff that I'm, that we could chat about. I don't know how long we just chatted for. About an hour and hour 45, yeah. Oh, um, something like that. But um, Mick and I could, we could do like a, yeah. you know, a, a TFC runner program. Yeah. Yeah. Podcast. Probably, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. But yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. And um, I already mentioned where to find you on Instagram. That's the best place to find you. Hey? It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All my websites are Melbourne Natural Podiatry or Mount Waverley Podiatry. Yeah. We'll and link, um, we'll link that in the show notes. Cool. And um, for those that are wondering, this is how James and I just talk to each other pretty much all the time. Anyway. Yeah. We literally <laughs> chucked a mic in front of us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we just like chew the fat over the, the big issues of foot and movement and all this yeah. other stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> no, I loved it. So uh, thanks again, mate. And we'll. Um, Catch you guys on the next episode. Thank you. Cheers.